You're listening to the Watling and Owen Show. Hello, everybody. Welcome into the Watling and Owen Show here on a Monday. We're almost halfway through August, which means football season is around the corner. We got some football to talk about today, as well as, of course, some baseball. The Yankees continuing to struggle. The Mets continue to surge. And people may be wondering, if you're watching here on Twitch, where in the world is Matt Walling? He's got his his beach hat on. He's got his tank top. He's he's ready to go. And vacation mode Watling is fully activated for today's show. We're in full force. But there's a couple of things I just need to tell the people just to reinforce how much I care about this show. One, I got up from the beach an hour ago to come sit down in my, well, you know, my air-conditioned condominium. I will say that. It's very pleasant to be in here. Got up an hour ago was ready to go, was waiting for Luke during the pre-show meeting, and waited so much so that I wrote every single note on our rundown like I usually do. So you say, oh, Watling's carefree. He's sipping a, a G&T. He's sipping a vodka soda. He's got a high noon in his hand. Well, that comes later. But listen, I did the show prep. I know what's going on. I've been following the sports. It was, it was kind of nice having a little bit of gap between this and my, my Israel trip because in Israel, I had no idea what was going on. Like, I barely knew what was happening because it was happening while I was sleeping. Now, I, I watched the Yankee game last night. I caught the end of the Mets game last night. I'm all in. I'm all in and ready to go. And, you know, just thankful that Luke actually showed up uh, here today and, and was accommodating enough to, uh, to have me on a show. I don't know why I would ever be in question. I've been showing up, you know, every day we're supposed to be here for the last month. So, I don't know why that's even a question. I mean, whatever. All right. You know what? Forget it. Right, I got yeah, nothing. It. But look, look right. I, I'm, I'm happy you're on vacation. I'm happy you're having – doesn't seem like it. It doesn't seem I'm like happy you're, you're having happy. a good time, Matt. No, I'm thrilled. You know what? It's, it's a little vacation jealousy. You know, when you, when you see your friend going on a nice trip, you think about how you want to go on a nice trip. And it's hard to – you know, it's hard to be sitting here in, in Syracuse while you're just living it up in an undisclosed location in your nice condo. That's right. A beautiful condo, I might add. Perfect bed. Nice water pressure. Although I did get kind of blasted by, uh, by the shower – yesterday so there's three knobs right and one knob in the middle switches it between the shower head and the in the tub setting right that makes sense interesting yeah and usually when you turn the shower on it's automatically on the tub not this one so it just just got blasted oh. right in the glasses with with some water and nearly blinded why'd myself. you have your glasses on in the shower well i needed to see how to turn it on because it's a new shower <laughs> it's electric oh it's, a, it's such good content uh, look, Matt, but you're, you're too happy. I need, I need to dampen your spirits. And you were really going through it uh, on Friday night. And that was when the, the New York Jets had their first preseason game against Philadelphia Eagles. And Zach Wilson suffered a non-contact injury. He went down. It was a weird kind of play. Uh, a lot of people fearing he might have torn his ACL, some very fraudulent Twitter accounts that claim to be doctors. A lot of people thinking maybe it was a torn ACL, but it turns out uh, it's a bone bruise and a torn meniscus in his right knee. Uh, right now, it's a two- to four-week timetable that he'll be missing. Uh, looks like there's going to be more clarity after tomorrow's procedure. And according to uh, the Jets, the meniscus needs a trim but not a full repair. And look, it's definitely good news compared to the ACL for sure, but it's a tough blow for the Jets because these preseason games are important for them because they're, you know— in the midst of installing a lot of new pieces to their offense. You know, Zach Wilson took some time getting used to the offense last year before he really got into a rhythm. So, you know, as much as these games, you know, don't matter for certain players, when you're a young team with a lot of young pieces, it is important. So for Zach Wilson to go down with an injury, uh, you hope that that two to four weeks is actually the timetable because, you know, maybe he only misses one regular season game. But it's definitely a tough blow to, to start off a a preseason that I know you're excited to watch, and you know this happens right away. I am, and, and it was nearly crushing. Like you talk about putting a da- not a damper on the season, but something that would make this season useless and and basically irrelevant would have been a injury that was ten weeks or longer, because everything that Joe Douglas did this off season was to check to see if Zach Wilson is your guy. That's all that matters at this point for the Jets, because you like the weapons they have. You like the defense that's improving. You like the talent they brought in on draft day. But none of it matters if Zach Wilson stinks. And if he's out for a full season, what do you have? It's really not a lot. And then you go into year three of Zach Wilson. You still don't know what he is. He's probably regressed missing a full year. So the fact that this injury is only two to four weeks, maybe a little longer, depending on Tuesday's 
uh, procedure is so important to this team. And, and I kind of texted you, Luke, and, and some of our friends, and I said, listen, if, if Zach Wilson was out for the year, I don't think I could watch football this entire season. Now, was that a bit of a hyperbole? Absolutely. I'd still watch Monday night. I'd still watch the Bills and Giants. But as a Jets fan, I don't think I could have watched Jets games without Zach Wilson because there would just be – it wouldn't matter. It wouldn't be – there'd be no meaning to those games. And I'd find it very, very hard to watch a team that it just doesn't matter off the bat. Well, obviously the hypothetical because Zach Wilson looks like he's going to be able to play. But if it was an ACL, I wonder, you know, would the Jets have gone out and get a Jimmy G or go out and try to make a move to not necessarily compete this year, but to be a non, you know, two win team? Because let's be honest, if they were out Joe Joe Flacco or Mike White, they're not going to be a team that wins, you know, whatever bar we set for them, whether it's six wins or seven wins or whatever you, you know, think the Jets should get to this year. You know, I wonder, would they go out and get a quarterback or would they just wait another year? And you're right. It really would feel like a waste of a season because, you know, what are you learning? Like, even with your new with your new guys, you know, I guess you can learn a little bit, you know, from Brees Hall in the backfield. You can learn probably not so much about Garrett Wilson if he doesn't have a legit quarterback throwing to him. So I feel like that, you know, you're right. It would have been an issue. And I wonder what the Jets would have done if Zach Wilson was going to be out for, you know, for a long period of time. It would have been, again, really just tough and I don't think Jimmy G would have been the answer. Obviously, it's all mood at this point because what are you really gaining from Jimmy G? You're gaining an okay quarterback that wins because his team's elite, right? Like You see what he does when he struggles, and it's not a whole lot. I think I'd rather just sit there with Joe Flacco, who knows the offense, right? At least he can kind of be uh, an okay piece that won't win you games, but maybe can help you learn what you have in your team. But again, all of this is kind of moot because you bring in – you know, you, you get the result that Zach Wilson has a torn meniscus and he, he'll be okay in the next couple of weeks. And now you wonder how much does this affect the early portion of his season? You know, when, you, when you're preparing and you're mastering the playbook and you're getting more comfortable with some of the new guys you bring in, you use that preseason and practice time. And I think Rob Salop specifically mentioned the joint practices that the team has lined up with the Giants and Falcons as two really good opportunities for Zach Wilson to learn, specifically against the Giants defense, which is, is kind of difficult. Well, Allegedly. if you don't have that, how far back is Zach Wilson now versus if he didn't have this injury? I think also you have to think about the fact that it's the same knee that he hurt last year. Missed four weeks with that. He's a mobile guy. You know, is he going to be able to trust that right knee completely when he comes back? You know, a lot of guys when they, you know, torn ACL is a different injury. But when they come back, you know, you're not necessarily putting 100% on that knee because it's hard to trust that knee when you've hurt it twice now. So. You know, does that affect his game when he comes back? You know, is he going to treat the first couple of games of the regular season kind of like a preseason where, you know, he's getting good reps, he's making sure that he's, he's comfortable with his knee, but maybe you're not necessarily winning those games because Zach Wilson isn't, you know, 100% ready to go. So that's kind of a conversation the Jets need to have too because it's all about the long-term health, right? Like this doesn't feel like – I know you've, you know, you've said there's definitely a potential that you think you could see the Jets being on the bubble. I don't think this is the year they're going to make the playoffs. So I'd rather see a fully healthy Zach Wilson come back even if he misses the first, you know, three games instead of the first game, if it means his long-term health. Because I don't think it's worth sacrificing a couple of games this season for the next couple with him. I agree wholeheartedly, right? You, you want to talk about this guy as a player. He's your future. And if you lose the first four games of the season because he doesn't play, that stinks because you can't really understand what this team is. And, and it feels like the season's over before it even starts at that point. But in that same breath, you, you really care about year three where you get another year of draft picks to come in, another year of development from especially this young group where, you know, the top three guys you got in this draft all in the first round could have been top 10 picks. You know, you got all three of those guys. It might take time for them to develop. So to have this year as sort of the okay, not a throwaway year, but a year that you say it's focusing again on developing our talent, bringing them in, and next year is our playoff, you know, deadline and, and moniker. Well, we need Zach Wilson to be playing all 17 games next year. Because next year really feels like the time where this team needs to make a step to the playoffs. You kind of look at the, the Bills and Josh Allen, or you want to look at, you know, Justin Herbert in his second year. They took that step. Now, listen, Herbert was, a, was much better as a rookie than Zach Wilson was. You know, he and I would argue that Josh Allen was even slightly better than Zach Wilson was his rookie year, if you compare the two. But, you know, Josh Allen makes the playoffs his second year. It wasn't really all on him. His team was very good. But year three is when it kind of felt like they were officially turning into contenders. And if you want to follow that map process the same way for Zach Wilson, well, year three is very important, and year two is about growing and learning. So he can certainly learn from the sideline, but more importantly, 
he needs to avoid injuries moving down the line. So again, Luke, like you said, taking some time to really rest and be okay is certainly valid as long as he can use that time in a productive manner. Yeah, I think next year, like you said, is definitely the playoff push year because, you know, say he misses a few games or, you know, they finish as a 5-6 win team this year, then next year there's a lot of pressure because this is a team that if you go out there and you're, you know, for lack of a better term, a, a lottery team again, and Zach Wilson's year three, then it's, okay, who's our quarterback now? Like, you're really trying to search for it. So I'm really hoping he can get healthy so we can really start to try to project out and see what Zach Wilson's career is going to be like with the Jets because they need him to be great. And you look at their early schedule, you know, the Ravens in week one, I remember we talked about this when we did the win-loss game. You said, you know, winnable game. I agree it's a winnable game, but I think the Ravens are a better team. But I, I think, you know, week two against the Browns is is much more winnable with Deshaun Watson. Uh, you know, the Bengals are a really tough game in week three. And then you've got another winnable game in week four against the Steelers. So it's going to be kind of almost picking and choosing. Uh, it, it's strange because you, you kind of go probably a loss, maybe a win, uh I would say, ah, I guess they beat the Bengals last year, but probably lost to the Bengals and then maybe a winnable game against the Steelers. So it feels like no matter when Zach Wilson comes back, tough competition. So I think it's just going to be a matter of getting him enough to play. You know, we have to, we have to hope that there's enough there that we can analyze him for the future. And I hope for Zach Wilson, he gets back in week two, because that's a game against a team in Cleveland. That's good. The defense is good, but that offense might really struggle without Deshaun Watson. Right, you've already got what is it? Nick Chubb wants a trade request. He wants out. There's a lot of different maneuvers that you could see in kind of issues in that team where you could see the Jets win that game, and that's a game where you know I'd like to see him back to try to win. Right, you look at Week Three against the Bengals. Eh, you know I don't need him, but obviously if you get him back for Week Two, you're going to see him for Week Three. Really, I think by Week Four, right, because you're giving him four through seventeen. That's what. 15 games, 14 games or so, that's a nice chunk of time. So to get him back by the Steelers game, a game that I frankly think is winnable. Now, granted, do you want his first game to be against a defense as good as the Steelers? Is that where you want to go when they have that really stout defensive line where your offensive line might have taken a step back this year due to some injuries? Do you really want to throw him into that fire where he's still testing out his knee? Or are you going to save it for you know the next week? Presumably, I'll pull up the schedule here in, in, in just a sec, against a, maybe Dolphins. a slightly lesser opponent in terms of the defense. Dolphins, yeah. The Dolphins, yeah. I mean, you'd probably rather face the Dolphins defense than the Steelers defense in, in your uh, in your return. Well, either way, it feels kind of tough. Whether it's Miles Garrett or TJ Watt coming after him week one off a knee injury, neither of those feel particularly fun. No, they don't. But yeah, but division rival. I don't know. I guess you're right. But I just think that defense in Pittsburgh is, is is scary, scary. You know, the the Miami one's good, but it feels like the defense last year for the the Steelers single-handedly carry them to a playoff spot. Yeah, and, and I think going forward for the Jets, you know, in the now, it, I would say it might be Joe Flacco's job to lose. I mean, it was, you know, Robert Sala was talking pretty highly of him in the in the beginning of training camp. He went 16 of 20 on 11 on 11s uh, on Monday's practice, perfect on third down. So, I don't know. The, the Mike White thing, we talked about it last year. It seemed like a flash in the pan. We kind of saw what happened when he went, went up against a real defense. Joe Flacco, he might not have the arm capabilities that he's had, but he's still kind of got that leadership, and he's still a guy that's been in the league for a long time. And, you know, he has played at a high level before. So I, I'd say Flacco is going to be the guy for week one. Oh, it's, it's definitely going to be Joe Flacco. At least it seems like it. And for, unless Zach Wilson comes back, right, because it's still that two- to four-week window. I assume he's missing week one, but to have – Joe Flacco, as his teammates like to say, you know, Super Bowl MVP, Super Bowl champion Joe Flacco against the Ravens, his former team, is, is a pretty cool story to, to see. And we'll talk, obviously, Jets as, as more things progress, but it's really going to be kind of a wait and see uh, for Zach Wilson. But we've got to talk Yankees because it was a really rough weekend for them once again. They dropped two or three games to the Red Sox. The offense is in shambles right now. They only scored five runs across those three games. Feels like everyone was struggling. Aaron Judge didn't play well last night. Uh, obviously, they've they've been dealt some tough injuries with Stanton out, and now DJ LeMahieu getting an, another X-ray uh, on his foot, so he could be out for some time. You know, your addition of Josh Donaldson hasn't really worked out. Um, you know, you cut Joey Gallo, but Andrew Benintendi hasn't really been great. So there's a lot of issues with this offense right now. I don't know if I can even say holes because it feels like at full strength, 
you still have at least a little bit of confidence in this offense, but they have really struggled. And you think about even the game they won Saturday night, it was a, an IKF home run, his first of the season, his first as a Yankee, and then a bunt single to bring home the winning run. They won three to two. So it's not like they were out there lighting up the Red Sox, even when they won a game this series. And for the first time, I can say I'm a little bit worried because when they've gone up against good pitching in the past, in the playoffs, they've struggled offensively. And it seems like that's happening again. And granted, Michael Waka is not a great pitcher, at least you would think, but he made the Yankees offense look pretty anemic. So I have to say I am worried about the Yankees offense right now. And, and listen, Luke, anytime you go up against Michael Waka, just getting two hits is a win. I mean, the fact the Yankees could do that was was real impressive. But in all re- reality, like this was a series that going into it, you expect two out of three, you start playing a little bit better, and then you get on your way. But instead, the offense continues to struggle. You really don't have any answers for an offense in itself in the Red Sox that wasn't that good. And, and where do you go from here? Because you're facing some tougher opponents. You know, you've got Toronto and Tampa coming up. You've got the Mets after that. Where are you finding wins? right? Is it because you own Toronto this season and you can beat Toronto? Is it you just get lucky against Tampa Bay who maybe has some injuries or, or whatever? Or is there another avenue where you're finding wins? Because I, I hate to break it to you, they're not beating the Mets. The Mets have DeGrom and Scherzer coming up. They're not beating those guys. So where do you go from here? Or does this, does this struggle continue into something where you're sitting there and, and you're saying, look, we're 16 and 30 in our last, you know, 46 games because right now they're sitting at 16 and 20 are you going to go on a 10 game losing streak or, or longer than that I guess if you consider the the loss last night it's super strange because through all of this they still have a 10 game lead on Toronto like it feels like they've they've left the door wide open and Toronto struggled three and seven in their last 10 the Rays are playing a little bit better six and four in their last 10 but they're 11 games back you know the Orioles 12 and a half back who I don't I don't see as a division threat this year so it's super strange to think the Yankees are the second worst team in the AL since the All-Star break behind the Detroit Tigers. And yet the, the, the Blue Jays have gained only half a game during that stretch. Like it's, it's wild to me that the Yankees have been this bad and they still hold the lead. So it's like in one hand, I have to panic because everything's about October. Like we knew this team was going to make the playoffs once they got off that hot start. That's not going to be in jeopardy. But if you're struggling against the Mariners and the Red Sox and the presumably possibly the Rays and the Blue Jays like these are teams you're going to see in October and they struggled against the Astros they struggled against the Mets like these are teams you're going to be playing in the playoffs you're not going to be able to beat up and kind of fatten up on the lesser opponents which is important in the regular season but when the playoffs come around if you can't beat these teams you're you're done you're going home so it was this stretch of games I was most excited to see them come out and play and they laid a dud. And I don't know if it's because they're, they're just so far up they don't care. I think that's a lazy excuse. I just think this offense isn't playing well right now. No, they're, they're struggling. And the only hope you could have is not that they don't care. It's not that they're going to turn it on come September because, you know, you don't, you don't go in this kind of struggle, right? You don't, have, you don't have Aaron Boone talking to you as a team saying, guys, wake up. And then you go out and you, you lose two or three. That doesn't happen. What you hope happens if you're an Yankees fan is – hey, look, we struggled, we're struggling, but not all of us are going to struggle come October, right? Aaron Hicks might struggle. DJ LeMahieu, who's been fairly consistent, he's been, you know, not what you want from him, but he's been one of your better hitters hitting 270, it might struggle. But you hope that one through seven doesn't struggle, right? The other seven guys that you have on this team, right? Trevino, Judge, when Stanton comes back, uh, you know, Glaber Torres, who's been over, it's really, he's over his last 40. Right, the last three games of the series, yeah. I don't know if he got a single hit this series against the Red Sox. The hope is that some of these guys get off the schneid and continue to slowly get off it as the season progresses. And by the time the playoffs roll around, you've got one guy struggling as opposed to what really feels like four or five. I think one of the issues with this team, and, and maybe it's there's a lot of teams in baseball that go through this. Maybe it's just the nature of an 162 season, but. It's a lot of very streaky guys. I mean, Anthony Rizzo, he's either hitting seven home runs in five games or he's going, you know, 0 for 30. Like, there's not really an in-between for him. And you love the home runs, and he's been overall a good player for them. But, you know, he's kind of the best example. You have other worst examples. You mentioned Glaber Torres. Josh Donaldson has fallen into this category where he'll get hot for a little bit, and then he'll be just terrible. Like, there's no – there's going to be hots and colds in a season, but you would rather have – you know, the hot streak followed by a cold streak where you're maybe hitting 250, not hitting 150. You know, there's there's got to be somewhere in between. And they just don't have that. The only consistent hitters they really have was 
DJ LeMahieu, when he was healthy, he was kind of creeping up towards the 300s, then he presumably got hurt again, and that's why his numbers started to drop. And Aaron Judge. And outside of that, you don't have a lot of consistency up and down the lineup. So it kind of once again opens that can of worms where it's, well, when they're hot, they're, they're unstoppable. But when everyone's cold, they're not going to win games. So they don't have the Mets type of players where it's, okay, even if McNeil's struggling, he's going to give you a, a hit every now and then. He's not going to go over. So it's it's such a weird argument to have because we've 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 seen when the Yankees are hot, it's like, oh man, this works. They've got the power. The Mets don't have the power. But then when you see the reverse, it's like, oh man, maybe the Yankees need more of what the Mets have, and the Mets don't really need what the Yankees have. So it's two opposites, and I'm glad we we have them to compare because it's it's super strange to to see just the ebbs and flows between the two lineups. Luke, we mentioned their upcoming homestand, right? Tampa, Toronto, the Mets. What do you want out of this? What is a win to you in this next in these next nine games? Is it five and four? Is would you take four and five right now if I signed up for four and five? If you almost have to take four and five because if you're looking at another stretch of three and six, this is where it hurts you, right? Directly hurts you because if you go one and eight over these next nine, or you know even take the next seven because those are going to be the most important divisional games. You're losing ground directly in division, no matter what, with the Rays and, and Blue Jays. It's not like going three and six against, you know, the Mariners and the Red Sox and then saying, okay, well, it's okay. The Blue Jays are losing. No, if you lose these games, the Rays and the Blue Jays are winning. So four and five, you're kind of treading water, which is what you've been doing. I don't want that. I don't want to sign up for that, but you almost would as compared to, you know, a two win stretch where you're directly losing games in the division. Four and five is just, and this isn't against you, Luke, but it's, it's a loser mentality. Because at this point in the season, that's what the Yankees kind of are, right? They're, they're losers. And it's not to say that you wouldn't take four and five. It's just to say that the fact that a team that, that has the aspiration to win a World Series, that you're a fan and a very smart you know, baseball mind, I would say, in, in Luke Owens, would take four and five is, is astonishing. And it shows how far this team's fallen because you know, going into the season, four and five was unacceptable across whoever you play because the Yankees were expected to be you know, or want to be a top five team in baseball. Well, unless you're playing, you know, the team's right above you, you should be winning these series. And would I take four and five begrudgingly? I wouldn't really be happy about it. What I would love is, is something like six and three or even five and four. But, you know, four and five, you can tread water against and, Tampa and Toronto. I, I, I guess you take it, right? Because at that point, you're extending your game, your lead. You're keeping your lead at least to a 10-game lead where if you lose those four against Toronto and it creeps into six or, or, or seven or – something like that. Once you get to six and a half, seven, you might start to feel some panic about, you know, around the Yankees because, you know, you can lose your lead just like that. Yeah. It just feels like having that double digit lead has eased some panic, at least for me. I know across the fan base it hasn't, but it definitely makes it a little better. And I, I want to turn, turn around and say, Garrett Cole needs to do the ball and shove tonight. But I said that last week against the Mariners, and he did it, and they lost one nothing. He went seven innings, eight strikeouts, no runs. Signed me up for that every day of the week, and the offense couldn't score. So I can't turn to Garrett Cole and Jamison Tyone and Nestor Cortez and say, give me another great outing. They've been pitching well over the stretch. It's really the offense that needs to figure it out. So it's one of those things where, you know, yes, you bring in Garrett Cole to win these games, and you bring him in to win, obviously, mostly in the playoffs, but also these games where you need to stop, right? That's the Jacob DeGrom method that the Mets were running with. But, okay, we lost three in a row. DeGrom's pitching. This should be a win. And they didn't score for him. And it feels like for Garrett Cole, that's what happened last start. He went out and shoved like they needed him to, to to break a losing streak. And they still didn't win. Like, it's it's on the offense at this point. Tyone pitched well enough yesterday for them to win. Uh, they got good pitching throughout the weekend. They got good pitching in Seattle. You know, even guys like Aroldis Chapman are pitching well right now. But if you can't hit, it's it's all for naught. And if you lose another game one nothing with Garrett Cole on the mound, I don't know. My head might explode. Because that, that's a game you win when Garrett Cole gives you seven shutout innings. Luke, I might need to see that happen. The, the Luke Owens head exploding might might actually get us some views on TikTok. I mean, and follow us on TikTok at Walling and Owens. By the way, I've been I've been more mad these past few games than I have been all year because I'm not a guy that is going to get like super crazy in the middle of the year. Because I said they're going to struggle. I didn't think they're going to struggle this bad. I didn't think they're going to lose this many games over such a short period of time. Like it's honestly astonishing that a team that jumped out to 70 wins as playing this poorly. And you're lucky that you have those 70 wins in the bank because they can't take them away. But it's certainly been a very frustrating period. It is. And, and, and Luke, I don't know if you've heard, though, that there's this, there's this pretty cool intro uh, for a closer in New York. And it's not Enter Sandman. It's, it's, the, it's, this, it's like a trombone or something. Have you, have you heard it? 
No, I don't know what you're referring no. to. Oh, maybe is it? Oh, it's not trumpet. What is it? Is it like a trumpet or something? Does that ring a bell? It's a trumpet. Yeah, yeah, it's a trumpet. Does that ring a bell to you? It's pretty new. I don't know if you've seen it. I've seen it a couple times here and there. A couple thousand times, rather. Yeah, a couple thousand times. Look, I the whole Edwin Diaz thing. I don't want to get started on it because it's too long of a can of worms. I, it's a cool intro. Don't get me wrong, but. They're doing too much now. Did you see the last iteration, the black and white one? No. What do we do? They they started they they made the intro like they made him come in and, and everything was black and white. Like why? Why are we doing this? Who did this? I don't understand. Uh I think it was S and Y. See, you know what's going too far. This last week it, it, it was ruined. Like over yes. the course of a week it happened. Like this has always been pretty cool for a pretty long time. And I, I guess because they stayed with it on the broadcast. People lost their minds. And, like, I, I put on Instagram, uh, I want a refund because I didn't see the trumpets when I went to the Mets game because they beat the Reds, like, 6-2. And someone commented and goes, I thought the same thing. It's only when Diaz pitches. And I was like, really? Like, uh, really? Like, I know this. Like, I understand baseball. I don't need to – I'm over it now. I'm sorry. It's cool. I thought it would be really cool, uh, you know, but – you know, I, I was going to I think I sent you guys a TikTok where it was, uh, when you go to the grill, this is a new intro song. It was a Trump. It's like, yep. if I, if I send that to you now, you'd laugh at me because it's not cool anymore. People always ruin this stuff and it's, it's real frustrating. I guess it's just social media. Maybe I should just stop being uh, such an old man about things like that. But it is like every time I TikTok, it's just a dude being like Braves manager. All right, guys, time for a comeback. And then it just plays the trumpets and they're like, Oh no, Edward Diaz is coming in. It's over. It's like, we, we can't come up with something more original. And every single time he comes into a game, like, and our friend Mike's been saying it for a while, and it's so true. This is just setting up Edwin Diaz to have a terrible blown save in, like, the playoffs or, like, a huge game that the Mets need to win. And then everyone's just going to clown him for it. But this is what happens on social media. We hype something up, and then we're going to tear it right down when something bad happens. Classic social media. The Mets, though, very – man, they're a good team. Let me tell you, that is a good baseball team. Yeah, they're, they're sick, and they won another two out of three against the Phillies. Uh, just two runs allowed, and the game they lose, I mean, Max Scherzer goes seven, just one earned run. He did allow nine hits. It was kind of a shaky game for Scherzer, but one he definitely wanted to win. But the real stud of, of the weekend was Jacob DeGrom. Six innings, two hits, ten strikeouts. Uh, he definitely could have gone longer, but he's still kind of on a pitch count. So the fact that he gets ten strikeouts in those six innings, it's ridiculous, and they're lined up so nicely uh, going into – uh, their next couple of series, I know they got Scherzer and DeGrom pitching the back end of the uh, the Braves four-game set. So they're in a really good spot right now. And if they can win, you know, I would even say, obviously, three of four would be nice. But if they can just keep piling up wins, I mean, they could essentially almost close the door on the division this week, it feels like. Yeah, I mean, if you take three or four against Atlanta, you're, uh, your lead balloons to, what, seven and a half. And then you take three or four from Philadelphia, you might sweep Philadelphia. And you put them in the bet in the you know, in the rear view mirror for good. The, the way that they played Atlanta has been really impressive to me because this is a team that in the past it feels like they would have lost the games against Atlanta. It feels like the moment would have almost been too big for the Mets. But this year, and I'm not putting it all on Buck, I'm not putting it all on Steve Cohen. I'm putting it on the players. Like these players are better than we've had in years past. The supplemental pieces, you know, Escobar, uh, Canna. Um, you know, all the pieces they brought, Starling Marte, all these pieces they brought in have really changed this team and the fortunes of this team. And obviously, Edwin Diaz becoming the pitcher that he is now really helps when you need a win. You can throw him out there for two innings and you don't want to do it, but you've seen, you know, Buck Schulter do it once or twice before and he, he ices the game. And just the way this team is rolling, I don't know how Atlanta takes more than one or two games if they're lucky, especially when you have DeGrom and Scherzer on the back end of it. Yeah, those are the two most important guys, right? Face them four times in series is a nightmare. I know you want to ask me this question. I'll ask you this. We got on, man. Are the Mets the team to beat in the NL, or is it still the Dodgers, do you think? I, I think it's the Dodgers. You know, you look at what they've done in the last couple of games. Like, they're winning at a clip just as much as the Mets are. And at, at that point, can you say the Mets are the best team when there's a team that has four more wins than them, and they're 9-1 in their last 10, right? Just to keep it short and sweet, you know, the Dodgers are right there in the winning terms except they just have the history to back it up. So I got to go with the Dodgers. But it's close. I'm not saying the Mets are Yeah, bad. I agree. 
Yeah, it is close. And if there's a pitching staff and that can go toe-for-toe toe with them, it is the Dodgers. I still think the Mets staff is better. But if the Dodgers hitting or if their pitching can keep it at a 0-0 game and get into the bullpens, you have to like the Dodgers there. We've talked about the Mets having some struggles, you know, piecing things together before Edwin Diaz. So I still think the Dodgers, too. And also, you know, we haven't seen Pete Alonso in, in a big playoff game. We haven't seen a lot of these guys. So, you know, how will they react? You know, Lindor has a nice history at that huge grand slam against the Yankees when he was with Cleveland. But a lot of these guys don't have that experience in the playoffs. And who knows? Maybe they'll go there and the moment won't matter to them. It won't be too big for them. It feels like this team is bigger than a moment like that, but you just never know. It seems like they feed off those moments. We saw what they did to the Yankees in that series at home with the crowd behind them, but I am I am very curious to see kind of how they react to the playoffs. But uh, it's already 3 o'clock, Matt, so I will, I'll hand things over to you for odd man so we can get you out uh, out on the beach, a little sunscreen on your nose with your bucket hat on. I, I need I need it on my arms, too. I mean, these guys are just feel, – they're feeling toasty, but credit to me, Luke. I reapplied uh, yesterday. Very impressive by me. I don't usually believe in the reapply, but I did it. And also yesterday, it was feeling a little toasty on the shoulders. So like like a smart guy, I put a towel around, wrapping up, went for a little walk. No wow. sun getting in on my shoulders. So, you know, we feel good right now. And again, you, you can kind of get burned on day five or six. You can kind of pull that off. But day one burn, it ruins the trip for the rest of the week. So we had to make sure that that was all cleaned up and good to go. But let's get an odd man rush, odd man rush and we'll start with uh, Derek Jeter on the K-Rod cast. We talked about the Yankees lost last night, but if you watched ESPN2 and you're a Yankees fan, you didn't see much of the game because for some reason ESPN decided to just solely have Jeter, Michael K, and A-Rod on the screen for like 95% of the game. It wasn't <laughs> like they were in the mini section of the box and they had the Yankee game full screen. It was just Jeter, K, and A-Rod. And I couldn't watch the entire thing because you didn't know what was happening in the game. And, and I thought that was the one flaw I thought I saw from the K-Rod cast last night was that you just didn't get to see a lot of the game when, when Jeter was on. Yeah, I guess that was the flaw. I don't know. I was kind of, you know, obviously I wanted to see the game, but I, I did turn it over with the thought of just wanting to see what Derek Jeter and A-Rod would do. And I don't know. It was awkward to me. Like, I think A-Rod was doing a lot of touchy-touchy with Jeter. I think Jeter was kind of not loving some of the stuff. So, I don't know. K, K did a good job trying to steer the conversation, kind of making it more lighthearted and stuff like that. But, you could tell. I don't think A-Rod and Jeter are ever going to be the best buds that they used to be. Well, do we want to dive into some of the things that were said on the K-Rod cast, Luke? Oh, yeah. Let's go for it. All right. So on the 1997 SI cover, the one with the uh, the shirtless shortstops, it was Jeter, it was A-Rod, a couple other guys as well. Uh, they, they brought it up during the game, and Derek Jeter goes, hey, please don't show this. And they show it, obviously. And he says, I'm never coming back. Now, Luke, you, you thought – Jeter was being a little bit of a baby for, for asking not to see the uh, the shirtless picture. Yeah, as you can see, Bruno was joining the show for a moment. But My God, son. Yeah. Yes. I, I don't know how – I understand him not – but I feel like he's putting on this, like, facade where he's like, oh, like, I'm Derek Jeter, the family man, and I've got my daughters, and we can't be showing stuff like that. Like, dude, you were the, one of the biggest players of all time back in your day. Like, you had the whole – you know, the ESPN graph, you had the whole starting lineup of attractive and influential women that you were dating like to now act like this you know innocent guy like I, I don't know I get he's a different person now but some of it just came off as like I don't know it's just weird to me I, I don't I think Jeter's gonna probably go away again after this like I don't think he's gonna be in the spotlight after you know the Jeter doc's over the media tour seems to be over like I think he's gonna just kind of fade back into into obscurity and I think that's good fine for him like that's what he wants he even said on the on the broadcast he's like I'm never going to throw a ball, you know, I'm never going to hit again. Like, I, I just don't want that part of my life with me anymore. And that's perfectly fine. But I just think he's not great for media appearances. He, he did say he'd never say never, but that was his intent when he retired. So, you know, Yankees fans hoping that he'd come back and play. There's a small chance, I guess. A-Rod chimed in and said, hey, I've never been invited back and, and had a laugh out of it. And there was one thing um, – on this cover, Luke, that I have to ask you, and it just brought it up. I just thought about when you talked about him being a player, you know, before, you know, settling down. I wonder if his wife doesn't like that picture and doesn't like the the graphic of all the women he slept with. Like, I wonder if that, if she was I like, would... hey, this can't happen. And now he's sitting there, has to see himself shirtless and knows when he gets home, he's going to get a stern talking to. That might have happened because, and if it did, you know, maybe he needs uh, to spend an extra couple of uh, innings out there on the K-Rod cast. I would assume his wife is probably not a huge fan of it. I would think that's probably a, a big part of it. Also probably doesn't want 
his daughters when they're old enough to, to be looking back on that. But look, it's, it's part of your story. It's part of your life. Like, you know, you made decisions when you're younger that, you know, maybe you're not proud of, but it's not like he was A-Rod level. You know, A-Rod was really apologizing for what he was doing. And that was, you know, the steroid use and things like that. Like Jeter, for the most part, had a very clean image in New York. Really the only knock against him was that he had a lot of beautiful girlfriends. Like that's the worst knock against him. Like he, he'll survive. How dare him have beautiful girlfriends? Uh, he yeah, was, I know, I, look, his, his wife. No, you know, I'm not going to say that. Just care. Move on. Oh, I, okay. All right. Uh, he was asked about playing in Kansas City instead of New York, you know, would you have been Derek Jeter with all the accolades? And he basically said, you know, I'd like to think that I would be as good as I was in New York, but obviously New York, he said, brings the best out of, out of the players. You know, the fans, they're, they're crazy. They, they, you know, they want the best out of you. So that was a, kind of an interesting conversation. And I'm surprised that, you know, Kay asked him about that because that kind of feels like a stupid Twitter troll argument. Oh, would he be the same guy in Kansas City? Well, you know, there are a bunch of good players that have never won a championship, and he probably would have been in line with some of those players, I'd imagine. You know, 3,000 hits – you know, the, the, the home, not really home runs, but just the, the, some of the plays he made were, were top 10 worthy to some extent. So I think maybe he's not as legendary. He's not 99% of the vote for Hall of Fame, but he's certainly up there. It was also, I thought it was also very corny when Kay would ask him like his favorite moment in his career and he just listed all the years he won. And then his worst moment was the years they lost. Like, we get it, dude. You love winning. Like, relax. And and one last thing, which was kind of funny that A-Rod told a story. He was at Derek Jeter's house. And apparently, like, when they weren't on the same team, they would just have sleepovers whenever they, they faced each other. Did you see that? Yes. Which is very interesting. And I'm surprised Jeter would have yeah, sleepovers. Yeah, yeah. It was pretty well. I'm just surprised he'd have these sleepovers with his opposition. But the, the story was A-Rod was at Derek Jeter's house. And I guess this was the trap that Jeter, you know, lured him into. Because all he had for breakfast that morning was Lucky Charms and orange juice. There was no mil- milk, Luke. You would have rioted if you saw his fridge. No milk whatsoever. He had to eat Lucky Charms and orange juice. And presumably Jeter won the game that day and kind of had a little chuckle with A-Rod. Although the question would be, is Jeter eating Lucky Charms with orange juice or is he eating them dry? Does he just never – I would assume he, he was probably a big takeout guy, but – I don't know. It's it's strange. I want to know why those two things. You know, what was he doing with the Lucky Charms and the orange juice? Maybe he maybe he has a separate fridge for himself, and that was his fridge for his friends. And then he gets you know <laughs> a leg up because now his friends are malnourished. Yeah, and he's sitting there eating like nice <laughs> eggs, Greek yogurt, maybe some cottage cheese if he's feeling it. Yeah, maybe that that's a good point. Maybe he was making sure that he was getting the leg up on the competition. So maybe you know you said I don't see Jeter as a big sleepover with the opposition guy, well, maybe that was what he was doing to get a leg up. Right. Keep your, your friends close, but your enemies closer is what Jeter said. Uh, moving on still in baseball though, one day before the 10 year anniversary of Felix Hernandez's perfect game, Drew Rasmussen had a near perfect game against the Baltimore Orioles on the first pitch in the ninth inning, Jorge Mateo laced a double down the left field line. And man, what a performance for the, uh, the Rays pitcher. Yeah, it was. And, and for Rasmussen, like, he's a guy that's had a decent year, but it, it feels like the Rays, it's, it's like, a, it's pretty well known. They're, they're tied for the most uh, amount of times getting perfect games thrown against them with three with the Dodgers. Like, it's kind of never the bride, always the bridesmaid type of situation for the Rays. They're always getting perfect games thrown against them. So it would have been kind of cool if, if they were the team to finally throw the perfect game, but it wasn't to be. And, and Matt, it's now been 10 years since the perfect game's been thrown in the MLB. It's crazy. Who do you think throws the next one, if I put you on the spot here? What was that? Sorry, you cut off. Who throws time. the next perfect game? Who throws the next per- – that's a tough question because a lot of guys that you see, like Philip Humbar and Dallas Braden, like you'll see like an obscure guy throw a perfect game. Put me on the spot. Let's see. I'm going to say – oh, man, this is tough. I'm going to say – Walker Bueller throws the next Ooh. perfect game in the MLB next year. He'll do it next I like year. It. I like it. Um, I, I'll say Degrom. Why not? It's pretty good. I could see Cole doing it, eh. like a sneaky perfect game. I don't know. No, then he's, he's got his routine where after the seventh inning, he has his his banana and he eats it really quickly. I don't know if he can get that in in the uh, perfect game situation. 
Well, and when he had the no hitter, he was like pacing the dugout like a madman. So maybe it would be terrible for his for his mental health to throw a perfect game. Might be, might be. Uh, let's let's jump over to the uh, the National League. Luke Fernando Tatis Jr. banned eighty games for PEDs. He took an anabolic steroid close to ball, which he said was being used to treat ring, ringworm. Now there was dermatologists on Twitter that were saying that's not the treatment for ringworm. So there's a whole lot of stuff going on here and. This is a really interesting story because you got a team in the Padres that is looking to win a World Series, right? They trade for Juan Soto. They trade for Josh Bell. They're expected to bring back another all-star, another superstar in Tatis Jr. after he had a really wacky injury in the offseason where he broke his, what was it, his wrist falling off his motorcycle. And all this happens in one season. And now you've got his GM, AJ Preller, saying, we've invested time and money into, uh, into him. We were hoping from the offseason to now that there'd be some maturity. And obviously with the news today, it's more of a pattern and it's something we've got to dig a bit more into. At the end of the day, it's one thing to say it. You've got to start showing it by your actions, it being being remorseful. And that was a really, really strong, a couple other things as well, saying we need to get to a point where we can trust him is really strong comments from a guy that just signed him for another 12 years. Yeah, it's it's strange. I don't hate the approach. I mean, sometimes it feels like, I don't know, there's a lot of discourse about, you know, are athletes baby too much? Are they, you know, sometimes you have to put them in their place. And it could go poorly, right? It could go to, you know, him demanding a trade, him not wanting to be there anymore for sure. But I don't know, in baseball, it feels like you're a little bit more safe, uh, a little bit more safe from a guy demanding a trade, especially when you are signed for 12 more years. I mean, I'm sure some team would take a stab at Tatis, but you know, the, the Padres don't feel like an organization right now that would just bend the knee and trade him for nothing. But I think overall, I mean, this is stunning news. I mean, the last guy that was this against is Alex Rodriguez. Like, we're talking about a face of baseball, a guy that is strongly promoted by the MLB, and he gets busted. And I don't know. It's, it's a whole, you know, question you talked about with what he was taking. Was it a few letters off of the actual treatment for ringworm? Is he kind of talking out of the left side of his mouth? Does he know what he's talking about? Either way, it's 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 a it's a stunner. Like it's really a stunner, and you know, for his image, it's I think it's going to take a minute to to regenerate. And I'm a guy that doesn't really care about steroids particularly. Like I I still see you know Barry Bonds as a guy that should be in the Hall of Fame, but when the rules are made, you should be able to follow them. Like if you're getting drug tested as much as athletes are getting drug tested, you should know what you're what you're putting into your body. And it feels like time and time again, guys do this, and then they're like, well, I had no idea what I was doing. I thought it was something else. Like at some point. You know, someone's got to be doing it, you know, to actual to actually take PEDs. So who knows? I think, you know, it's hard to speculate, but I wonder if it's kind of an Andy Pettit situation, trying to make his way back from injury, trying to help himself out. But either way, it was a stunner. At first, I was kind of shocked that Preller would say something like this. I mean, this is a dude that you just signed. Like, you're basically admitting we didn't have enough information when we signed him, right? Because if you knew you couldn't trust him, you wouldn't have signed him to a 14-year deal. And I was like, why would you say this? Like, this looks bad on you, yada, yada. A- after kind of sitting back on it, when you've got Mike Clevenger saying he's disappointed, when you've got, you know, Manny Machado saying some things, and really a handful of players not really happy with Tatis Jr., I think that kind of allows or enables your GM to say this. Because if the players were in his corner and said, look, he was just trying to get back from injury, you know, this is his business, not ours, yada, yada, then – It'd be hard to say, but if all the players are kind of supporting what the GM said, to some extent, this just looks really bad on Tatis, and I wonder if this is a guy you look to trade and sign Juan Soto to Juan Soto instead, where you've got a guy that you know might make fifty million dollars, plus what Tatis is juniors making, but you know he's going to stay on the field, you know he's arguably a better player, so I wonder if that's a route that they go. Yeah, and I think also you have to think about you know maybe this is a good you know shot in the arm for Tatis to hear his teammates and his coaches Jim saying you've got to be better man like maybe he'll look around and say okay well, maybe I do need to be better maybe I do need to fix this and if not like you said maybe they try to trade him but it's it's definitely definitely something that I wonder I mean the Padres obviously didn't know but I think having Juan Soto as a backup plan is not the worst thing in the world and not to mention I mean Tatis is the guy that we don't know how he's going to be when he comes back from the shoulder injury he's elected not to undergo surgery he just started taking live BP before the, the, the suspension was announced, but he's known about this potential suspension for a while. I think the positive test came all the way back in, I think, like May, because they've got time to sort it through with the MLBPA, and there's the appeals process, so it's kind of under wraps, and 
the team didn't even find out about it until everyone else did. So it's a very interesting process. And I don't know, like if, if the Padres think he's never going to be, you know, what they're paying him to be, then maybe they'll just cut ties and say, let's just move on and see if we can find someone else. But a 14 year contract, this is where it backfires, right? We see all these young guys getting these long-term contracts, maybe for a little bit less money than they would get in free agency. This feels like the first time we've seen a really long rookie type of contract kind of backfire. But there's still a lot of time to make up on in that same vein. Luke, you said it, he needed a shot in the arm to get himself you know, down the right path. Well, ah. that shot in the arm brought him to this path. That's right. That was a tough choice of words. I, I, did I was not holding think about on to that. that for a real long time, Luke. I was, I was thinking of making a, a clip for it, but you kept going and going and I just had to get it in there. The shot in the arm brought him to where he is now with the eight-game suspension. Yeah, because I'm really blabbering because it's a lot to process, right? Because in the same, you know, the same idea of yeah, you know, you could trade him, cut bait. It's a long contract. You also say we could be looking five years from now and saying like, oh, rem- like who even remembers that? Tatis is a stud. He's a top five player. He's won them a World Series. Like so, there's also that if he can kind of straighten himself out, he's got a lot of time to figure. Well, out. I only suggest the trade because. If you're the Padres, can you sign him? Can you have him, Machado, and Juan Soto among the other guys they've signed? So I wonder if he just becomes the odd man out because he's fairly young, he's valuable, he's making you know not insane money that you couldn't take on his contract. You know when does the money run out for this team? And I wonder if it runs out at this point. Maybe the Yankees should try to make a deal for Fernando Tatis. They've been clamoring. Yes, but a lot of people think he's going to be an outfielder. How when? He's just not a great infielder, and they've played him a little bit in the corner outfield, so he might actually be an outfielder. Right, well, th- that could happen if they lose Judge. I think if they lose Judge, you're going to see them take a real a real big swing, and maybe that's the move they make. Uh, let's go to the last story of the day. Bill Russell's number six will be retired across the NBA following his passing last month. It'll be the first NBA player to have his number retired league-wide. And, and shockingly, Luke, 25 players currently wear the number six. So they'll all be allowed to wear it if they want. They'll kind of be grandfathered out. But, you know, in the next, I guess, 10 years or so, however long it takes for these guys to retire or, or move on from their number, we won't see a number six ever play in the NBA again. Do you think this is a standard procedure when they do a league-wide? Oh, yeah, because the Mariano Yeah, Mariano Rivera had 42. Okay, that's true. But he seemed like the only I guy. If they're gonna, I wonder if they're going to kind of – well, eventually the other 42 is retired, Luke. I know, but it feels like he's the only one that I remember. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like, I don't know. I feel like for Mo, it was like he was so elite. They were like, all right, we'll let Mo keep it. I wonder if it's the same thing with LeBron, where it's like he's so iconic. And, you know, he's probably more iconic in the 23, but he did win with the Heat as number six. He's now back at as number six on the Lakers. So, I don't know. It feels like if there's someone of, of high status, they kind of let them keep the number until until they're gone. So in 1997, they retired Jackie Robinson's number, Luke. The Orioles had backup catcher Lenny Webster wear it until 1999. Mo Vaughn wore it until 98, which is a year beyond that. Um, Rivera, obviously, through 2013. Let's see who else kind of was in this mix here that wore it for a while. Jose Lima wore it in 2002 at one point. Um, That doesn't make any sense. When they... That doesn't make any sense. It says Lima, um, when the Tigers reacquired Lima from the Astros on June 23rd, 2001, Lima stuck with 42. How does that happen? No, oh, no. in 1996, he started wearing 42. Okay. That makes oh, more so sense. Oh, so he was part of the, he was part of the grandfather clause. Yes. Yes. Cause he wore it with the Astros from 97 until 2001. That makes sense. Okay, that makes gotcha. sense. Do you, do you want to keep going? Do you want to see some other guys that were wearing the number 42 or you don't care? I, I mean, I guess your point's proven. But right. I wonder if Mariano Rivera or LeBron James don't have the number, do they just say, you know what, everyone's starting right now, find a new number? That Well, Pedro Martinez wore it. Oh, different Pedro Martinez. Never mind. Sorry. <laughs> um, yeah, it is interesting. But I wonder anyway, if they're going to try to grandfather out some guys early. You know, does Alex Caruso need to keep wearing number six? I don't know. Like, is he a guy that you say, hey, do you mind changing your number and kind of keep it under the table so you're not embarrassing these guys? I think he could. I think LeBron should probably be the last guy to wear six just because he's such an iconic figure. You know, does Kristaps Porzingis need to wear it? Montrezl Harrell, he's another guy that wears number six. I mean, the, the ESPN story I read, Luke, had like five guys named. And after LeBron, there was a steep drop-off. It went LeBron, yeah. Porzingis, Caruso, 
Montrezl Harrell, and then one other dude that was kind of like on that Montrezl Harrell sort of, uh, you know, name or, or level. But for Bill Russell, yeah. who passed away last month, like we said, just unbelievable on the court and off the court. He was the first black head coach in American pro sports in 1966. 13-year career, Luke. Only played 13 years and won 11 NBA titles. That, that I don't think that'll ever happen again. The amount of titles that he won in such a short career span. No. <laughs> Unbelievable. No, definitely well, not. Especially just the, the way the league is now. But, yeah, it, it's awesome that they're doing this. That, that's the point, the, the main point. It's, it's really cool because you have to do a lot to get the league-wide retirement. Like, I don't even think Michael Jordan would be able to get to 23 retired. Do you, like, do you think, you know, hopefully a long time from now, like Bill Russell, obviously, you know, he, he lived a very long life. And, of course, you know, you wish he could have lived an even longer life. But, you know, say Michael Jordan lives – to 90 years old, do you think that 23 eventually gets retired when he passes? I guess so. I, I I don't know. He didn't quite have that sort of social impact that Bill Russell did, but also he's the most iconic NBA player of all time. So you might see that happen. Uh, with that said, Luke, that's it for Odd Man Rush. So I'll give it back to you to wrap up the show. Yeah, that'll wrap up the show here on a Monday. We will be off tomorrow as we let Matt further enjoy his vacation. And next the week. next week, no, no, no. Next week, I'll be running the solo wow. ship here on the Wilding Hours show. Or I'll have someone hop on. We'll see what kind of mood I'm in. Another Don't worry, enemy man. of mine, probably. I'm producing content. What did you say? Another enemy of mine. Probably, yes. I will find your biggest enemy and have them on the Second show. And it'll be a good time. At this point. But I'm hoping to, yeah, I'm hoping <laughs> to get some content out for you guys. But thanks for hanging out with us. Uh, catch us wherever you get your podcast. T- catch us on social media at Wilding and Owens. Uh, I'm still going to make Matt do a dance. Maybe I'll think of something for him to do on vacation. I don't know. I got, I'm not like in the TikTok dance community, so I need some help. I need some suggestions. Need suggestions from, from Luke lovers. Luke lovers. Yes, Luke, Luke lovers. Come out of the woodwork wherever you are, even though I know you don't exist because everyone loves Matt. Um, but right. that, it's like everyone loves Chris and everyone hates Raymond. It's everyone loves Matt everyone no, hates Luke. You flip that. Uh, Everybody hates Chris. Everyone loves Raymond. You bozo. Okay, sorry. Did I say uh, you said it the other way? Whatever. This is why the people like no, the, this is why there's Wawa heads because I actually no know archives. pop culture references. I have no evidence that the show ever existed. We will see you next week. <laughs> <laughs>